You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Good morning, JP. Until one, and Bernie taking your calls and comments. The lines are now open on 0818103103. You can text or WhatsApp 0862103103 if there's something you want to raise on this morning's show or indeed comment on what we are discussing. And discussing we are very shortly is food inflation. As the Consumer Association of Ireland, who have been tracking the price of an average basket of supermarket goods for the last 20 years right across this country, uh, they're going to join us this morning. Dermot Jewell from the Consumer Association because the latest inflation figure for Ireland is now at 8.2% and on Taoiseach Michal Martin coming out yesterday evening from Brussels saying that is set to soar unfortunately and we'll see food prices increasing as they already have over the last while so we'll discuss that shortly on the programme your views are welcome on that and are you noticing uh, the food increasing which we all are in the supermarket but also uh, the items we are paying for you're getting less value for money because there's less in the package of whatever you were getting. It could be biscuits, so there's less biscuits in the package. And we, we see products more or less shrinking in front of us. So discussing that shortly. Also, six and seven-year-olds could benefit from free GP care. But as this is welcome news, will it put GP surgeries under further pressure? We'll be joined by Dr. John Sheehan, a Blackpool-based GP. And also discussing how many people have to travel to Cork City and it can be their only option. And this is following a report which has looked into the situation of abusive relationships in the West Cork area or uh, people who find themselves abused and when they go and look for help to go another step further, they will have to travel to Cork City. That in its own right brings uh, more problems for them. We're going to discuss that report with the author later in the programme. And looking at this situation and what can be done as more outreach services are being opened up across the region. Uh, But is that enough uh, considering what a serious matter this is. We're also going to hear about the Long Way Home Vintage Run. And this is a tractor run, which is going to run from the Mizzen to Mallon. And they're going to do this in their tractors in around four days. So we'll hear about how that will pan out for the guys and girls who are going to be heading from the Mizzen to Mallon, all for charity. We'll hear about that later in the programme. And it's a beautiful day outside today. And as it is, I'm sure a lot of people are tackling the gardens. And if you have a gardening question, Peter Dowdall, the Irish gardener, he will be along after 12.30. If you have a question for Peter, get those into us nice and early. Uh, all our uh, segments, uh, like our vet slot with Jane and indeed our questions for Annalisa, they get very busy. So get your questions in as soon as you can and we'll put those to Peter. You can call Bernie 0818 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862103103. But I mentioned there about inflation and experts are warning that unfortunately, not good news, but I don't think any of us are going to be surprised by this that food and indeed phone charges are going to increase now when they say phone charges I presume that is to do with our own mobile phones and indeed uh, what we all pay monthly on those and if you're in some type of of an agreement with your phone operator you could be lucky but if it's up you're going to see an increase because everything is going to go up by all accounts according to experts and this is coming out right across the, the European Union and even though prices have sharply increased over the last while, uh, the supply chain problems 
after the pandemic and then the current war in Ukraine, it's going to set fuel rising and we're going to see fuel rising again over the next while. And as I speak about fuel, competition is needed in the energy sector, but that is slowly disappearing as well because another energy supplier has announced it will be leaving the Irish market amid warnings of more exits over the coming months. And this is the gas and electricity supplier Iberdrola. They have announced yesterday that they are going to make a controlled exit from the Irish market and we saw Brighter Energy do this at the start of the year so the less competition we have in the market regardless what is happening with inflation uh, prices can be deterred that way and they can go up so it's not good when you see energy suppliers leaving Ireland and I mentioned there on fuel well it seems now that uh, just weeks after diesel broke the two euro a litre mark petrol prices are also about to breach that barrier a surge in demand in the US in recent weeks this has led to wholesale prices and has led to rises at filling stations here right across Ireland. Now at the moment the charge it hasn't gone to two litre in many areas as yet. Some parts of the country are seeing that where diesel and petrol is going to two euros a litre but nationally the average still stands at 191 but diesel which first breached the two euro ceiling in March uh, has a national average of 194 so it seems 191 for petrol 194 for diesel uh, in and around this morning when I was driving to the studio uh, most are 196 for petrol 195 for diesel uh, that would be in the Cork area they reckon that diesel prices even though they have retreated slightly uh, they will go back up again and they could overtake petrol for a while there uh, we saw petrol a lot cheaper than diesel that has changed slightly but it's going to go that way again it would seem and this surge in fuel prices seemingly this time of the year it's when uh, the cost of fuel is at its dearest. Petrol and diesel prices always increase around the summer months, it seems. And this is another surge in fuel prices and it's hitting a 40-year high uh, for diesel and petrol at the pumps. So inflation very much the talking point uh, on the news today. And we'll be discussing that, as I said, shortly with Dermot Jewell from the Consumer Association of Ireland. And the story that will keep on going for the week I think at this stage it's the uh, problems within Dublin airport and it continues for them because Craig Hughes of the Irish Daily Mail he's writing today that the CEO of the DAA Dalton Phillips he flew out of Dublin airport on Saturday night this was after the passenger crisis had started to unfold there at the airport uh, he was going to Saudi Arabia I be- we believe from the article that it was something business orientated but anyhow regardless because of what unfolded on Sunday he had to come back so he must have just touched down in Saudi Arabia and then got back on a flight to come back to Dublin Airport and deal with the chaos that then escalated across Sunday and while the DAA today now are in front of the Oireachtas Committee and we will be speaking to those who are on the Oireachtas Committee on tomorrow's show to find out exactly what the DAA have to say for themselves because so many people even though we all want to fly out of Cork and the majority of us do and you, you kind of book a flight that goes out of Cork what we've been hearing across the week is you simply can't get flights to where you want to go out of Cork or else you get flights that are going later in the evening and you feel you're missing a full day then in the destination you're going to so a lot of people even though they it's, it's a journey and it's a, a struggle and it can be 
annoying when you're trying to book parking and stuff for your car uh, going to Dublin airport we all would rather fly out of Cork or indeed nearby Shannon or Farron 4 but for some there's no option so it is going to impact everybody here in this region as well and the DAA even though they were discussing yesterday with the Transport Minister Eamon Ryan and those uh, within the Department of Transport and today now they're in front of the Oireachtas Committee that deal with transport they still said yesterday they can't guarantee that what happened last Sunday will not happen again this weekend and it would seem by the flights that are due to fly out from Cork or from Dublin Airport is that there's more flights this weekend than last weekend. So I don't know how they're going to solve that, even though it is all hands on decks and everybody, office staff and everybody will be working on the ground in Dublin Airport, unless that will make some type of a, a, some difference. Or I know they're opening further lanes for security. Will that ease the pressure? We'll have to wait and see. We'll know, I suppose, at the weekend. I'm sure a lot of people will be keeping a close eye on what's happening within Dublin Airport. Meanwhile, while that's happening, in Cork Airport have come out and they've said they have staff in place to ensure passengers won't face any lengthy queues if you're flying out from Cork Airport this bank holiday weekend. So while Dublin is in chaos, Cork are A-OK uh, to fly out and looking yesterday, uh, I think there was, uh, was it over 300 flights were flying out from Dublin at one point yesterday and about 30 flying out from Cork so you know there's an imbalance there that has to be looked at and while even though the DAA do control Cork uh, and obviously they're all fighting for competition for airlines to use their airport I think they need to look now at the imbalance if there is problems that one airport can't cope and the other airport is doing very well but still has a lack of flights when you compare what's flying out of Dublin and flying out of Cork and you have a new runway in Cork anyhow lines are open 0818-103-103 Bernie taking your comments right across the morning or you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103 I mentioned fuel there and the average cost of fuel across the county we were saying this morning driving to studio roughly about 196 for petrol 195 for diesel obviously that will change as the day goes on or as the weeks go on or days I suppose at this stage more so but I got a text in or WhatsApp in from Newmarket who says Hi JP petrol now in Newmarket this morning when I was passing was 205.9 uh, for petrol and diesel 197.9 for diesel now I presume that's the ordinary you know they have this plus petrol and plus diesel that seemingly lasts longer if you use that and it lasts longer in your car or van or whatever uh, so I presume this is the ordinary uh, petrol and diesel you speak about but it says petrol 205 diesel 197 what's it like in your area it is going to surge to 2 euro according to reports this morning we will see it despite what intervention the government have made and some would say they need to do more and cut VAT rates and cut uh, the taxes that they get out of fuel that comes from the pumps uh, but with all of that in mind and they have done a small bit I suppose over the last few months it's still going back up to the 2 euro mark that's the price this morning from the new market area what have you seen on your journey uh, text or WhatsApp 0862103103 and I mentioned how phone charges could be on the increase and if you are in contract with your current phone company and it's about to expire uh, many say that they also could be increasing their prices so on that then we got a WhatsApp in from a person who says do any of your listeners know why the 3 network isn't working again in the West Cork region all day yesterday with no service I'm seriously thinking of changing providers because it's happening so regular at this stage uh, we are checking in with 3 to see what indeed is happening I know a few weeks ago we had a similar uh, complaint and it was in the Bantry area and they were working on their transmitter in Bantry and that is why uh, people within that area of West Cork 
network had no uh, reception with the three network. Uh, others were okay, but the three network was was gone there for a few days, and they said they were upgrading the transmitter. So uh, I'm not too sure if they're working that again or what is happening or where in the region you are. But we have checked in with three, and when they come back to us, uh, we'll see what the problem is. Uh, thank you for your WhatsApp. And 0862103103. Bush, uh, the rising cost of food. Uh, we all need food, and none of the latest inflation figure is at 8.2%. We'll be joined by the Consumer Association of Ireland next. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. On fuel prices, well, we thought the average was 196 for diesel. Well, we could be wrong now because uh, Esther from Blarney says this morning petrol was 206 and diesel was 199. And we're getting a lot more WhatsApps and texts from people in various parts of Cork saying the same. So it would seem at the moment two euro uh, mark is where petrol is hitting, unfortunately. And for over 20 years, the Consumer Association of Ireland has been tracking the price of an average basket of supermarket goods. So no surprise, there's been an increase in the last number of months. Dermot Jewell joins me from the Consumer Association this morning. Good morning to you, Dermot. Morning, John Paul. I assume increases are happening in weeks now rather than months. You're entirely right because... Um, we carried out our survey in the basket in March, um, and at that stage, no shock. It was it reflected an increase of just over four percent, um, and that was since 2019. And then, quite quickly, within a couple of weeks, um, we noticed some of the items in the basket had increased at seven percent. Um, and now, even today, as as we we, we learn from the news that uh, inflation now for the month to May has been at eight point two percent. So yes, it keeps increasing and on a very frequent and regular basis. And also, over the last while, in the last day or so, the Tonishili Varagra has come out. He has warned now that fuel prices will increase, which will then reflect on food prices because this is what has been negotiated at the moment in Brussels regarding oil coming from Russia. So we can see a further increase coming down the line. There's no, there's no question about it because in every single way, um, we are we remain to, to remind ourselves, unfortunately, that we're lucky to be an island nation, but it comes with a cost, um, and so everything that's being delivered to us, um, comes at an increased cost, um, and most of the problem is for ourselves as consumers is that those costs are generally passed on. The problem is, or the difficulty in the background is that. There are quite a number. When it comes to energy, for example, we we can see and we learn how the price increases um, and what what's the cause for it, um, almost down to the to the actual cent. But unfortunately, when it comes to other products and particularly food, it's not that clear, and that's been quite an issue for a long number of years. That we just don't know why at the level of increases are happening, is it? We don't. We can see the level of increases and we can hear from different sectors. For example, mm. you'll always hear from the produ- from the production sector, like the farming community will say, look, we're, 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 we're producing A and we're getting B as a price. But yet we can see the price at the end and it's completely at odds with what we're getting. Um, and there's... So then you 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 speak to those in the set in the middle who may add production to the to the food that they're buying, and they'll say, "Well, our prices is fairly well set, but you know we we then go out and it has to be delivered, and there's a variety of other um, 
cost factors in it. But when you try to break them all down, it, it, it becomes muddy. It, 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 and every single time over years, for example, people have said, look, we want to know, let's take it just an example. What exactly makes up the cost of, of, a, of, a, of a loaf of bread? It's, it's not too hard to do that. But if you work it back and say, can you actually tell us why, if you like, a farmer um, gets a, a, and I'm only using this as an example, and using a farmer, it could be anything. It could be somebody producing a, a CD, for example, or a, a ticket. You'll say, it, the, how much does the artist get? How much does a pr- 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 promoter get? But why am I paying 100 and odd euro for a ticket? Um, because there's something in the middle missing. And as I say, that particularly is the case with food because um, every single time it's been asked, how is it made up? You've been told, well, we'd like to tell you, we can give you a ballpark, but that's fairly sensitive information. So we won't be telling you. Um, and as a result, we pay a price at the, at the tail and we're not really sure why it's gone up to the level it has. So we really are losing transparency in the food sector when it comes to pricing, listening to you explaining that there. But does that now lead to a loss in consumer confidence? It does because it's been a problem for some time that's always existed there. And if, if you, to all intents and purposes, the situation was never at the critical point that it is now, um, where it's not just food, it's not just energy, it's not just fuel, it's everything. Um, and so the focus is starting to come around one more time to the clarity because every single cent counts to the to the buying public, um, regardless of what the service or the, or the, the product is. Um, and food as I say, because it's been such a long one, has been looked at very significantly, particularly at the EU level. And there were market transparency rules that were put into Irish law as recently as September of 2021. So you can see that the goal behind that is to bring a focus and a report to what are the costs of that drive the food chain and how do we manage it? And most importantly, coming back to this point, if you want to call it, of, of looking for transparency, the, 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 the follow-on from the introdu- introduction of those rules in September by the Minister for Agriculture is that there is now soon to be an appointment of an independent food ombudsman for Ireland. So that brings us right up, right up close against um, the, the trust element because it's known there's a lot of trust in an ombudsman position. The ombudsman um, being independent, he or she has clear power to demand whatever detail they need to understand a price um, or a structure that's in place. Um, and to all intents and purposes, that comes back to the point that you made. It's a way of restoring trust in whatever comes forward. And that's really key in, in, in transparency and understanding why we're all in the same boat, but why some of us are not paying way more than others. Um, it brings transparency and trust into it. And given the current situation as prices will continue to rise, I mean, the government has got involved with energy by way of fuel. Now, many say more can be done with fuel by cutting the VAT rates. Would you welcome something like this with goods as well, and in particular with food? Certainly, um, there's no question about it. As I say, the time now is to acknowledge that we've got to be so price conscious, it's frightening um, because there is... There, there has, there is an issue of, of potentially food poverty. Um, I mean, we, we have literally in, in on this island, we have people determining on a weekly basis how much to spend on food, how much to spend on energy, and some are making a choice between eating and heating. 
Um, and I, I know we're entering into the summer, thankfully, but we're not that far away from the, the winter months again. Um, but more importantly, we're not fa that far away from a budget that's going to have to really cater for all of the significant difficulties we have. I know it's not an easy task. I would, I really wouldn't like to have it myself, but there are plenty of good minds around the country and around the tables that can come up with strong solutions. But in the background of them, there has got to be price transparency so that we do not see price gouging, which you can see in certain sectors um, in, within the island. Very true. And something else that people are getting very annoyed with, and this is, as we are all paying more, package sizes, Dermot, they have changed over the years. You've noted that in your reporting over the last 20 years. And Joan Formoy has an example. She often buys a pack of dried soup. Now, the weight has gone down from 70 grams to 60 grams. And that's just one example. You could look at chocolate bars. They've reduced in size, you know, biscuits and so much more over the years. You're entirely right. And it's known as shrinkflation. We're, we have inflation and we have shrinkflation. And the goal behind shrinkflation has been that the manufacturers determined that consumers do not like to see price increases. Um, they watch prices very closely, but they're not. Well, when, when they're focused in that way, their mind is slightly skewed away from looking at the actual content of the product. And and now, as I say, it's not new. It's been happening for quite a number of years, but it's happening again more. Um, and the, to all intents and purposes, it is a price increase. It's just that it's not being made clear to you. And when the, often when, when queried manufacturers said, well, we know that consumers don't like price increases. So, you know, we, we, we find this is a perfect solution. It's not a perfect solution uh, because the average consumer sits at a table confused as to why they've spent more money and yet they're using going through their food faster than they normally would it's because they're actually paying more for less um, and it's you know, so it, there's so much in in whole market in terms of transparency and particularly in terms of food it's become quite a problem it's not just for Ireland I have to say this is a global problem um, the shrinkflation was first noticed in the US um, many years ago where you know they, they couldn't figure out what was going on and it was fairly simple when you when you looked and drilled down on it but that's why even at this stage there's another element of concern at the standards level whereby for example it's it's it happens on a regular basis it has to do but the monitoring system is changing so that for example even certain tests are carried out to ensure that what it says on the packet is the weight is the weight um, and and as i say experts are weighing products now just to be sure that it's meeting the labeling con um, um, advice to the consumer because when you move from looking at price to also looking at weight you've got to trust that both are correct so if 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 there's anything wrong it needs to be shown up so i'm glad to say again people are working in the background of it not wanting to cause panic but it, it does happen yeah, it does. And as you rightly say, not only here in Ireland, I'm looking at uh, the papers out of London, the Times of London, showing how pasta, crisps, bread have all increased in price, but also the quantity has decreased. So it's, it's happening right across the world. And I think you're right. We have to understand how our food pricing is set to get a grip on this. Before I let you go, Dermot, a story that's been in the headlines all this week, and I think will continue uh, to be right across the end of the week. Dublin Airport, what happened there on Sunday? Their DAA, the 
that is is saying that they will refund those who have missed their flights and also look after their accommodation. A lot of people though asking what happens if they had a car for rent in the destination they were going to or indeed for transfers and other activities they had planned. I mean, are the DAA, while they're generous in saying they will look after accommodation and indeed the flight costs that people have missed out on because of the delays there, do they really have to look after car rental or do you think they will go down that line? Well, I, I suppose the best way of putting it is consumers have always been told, look, go to your insurance um, in, in the event that something like this has happened. Now, almost all insurance claims focus when it comes to travel on getting to the other side of the airport if you like where the airplane is that they rarely ever 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 provide for anything in that in that regard um and the the key element in all of this i think maybe to kind of shortcut it is that i i i experience has taught us taught us here at the consumers association that if you go to an insurance company and say i want to make a claim um, and I want to make a claim in, in, in this regard, they will say, well, hang on a minute, the airport have said they will pay. You go to them first because come to us if there's a problem. But it's either not covered or we believe that you're going to be refunded by the airline, by the, the airport. So I, I, I think insurance is going to come on way down the, on the back line um, and DAA are going to have to really stand up to what they said. And that is be fair and reasonable in the sense that, um, yes, getting through the airport is one thing and it does cause delays. And yes, you may be able to try and rebook a flight. And I know that costs a phenomenal amount of money. But the reality is if you've lost a night, if you've lost a day's car hire, if you've had to spend extra money on transport, if, if you know, whatever it is, that has to be understood to be a, a, a clean, simple, straightforward fallout from the problem that was caused at the airport, which they put their hands up for and, and said, we, we're responsible. But most importantly, particularly when it comes to insurance, where they've said, and we don't know what caused it. So they're fully liable. Um, I know there may be debates on this and there's going to be discussion, which is why we're saying, look, we know that you've got to go to uh, to use the, the the address customer experience at dublinairport.com which is a mind-blowing <laughs> um, um, address however um, once you do it needs to be outlined to them that in the absence of them standing tall and doing everything they can to facilitate passengers and um, this is never going to go away because it will end up in courts by some people um, and if, if it, and small claim court and other courts because um, the small claims court has a limit of 2,000 euro but you can't help but feel that some of these costs particularly if you want to book a flight today to go away tomorrow it will cost you an eye-watering amount of money so these bills are going to be big yeah, we'll wait and see what happens, Dermot, for the moment. Uh, thanks for joining us this morning on the programme. A pleasure. Take care. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103. Six and seven-year-olds could benefit from free GP care this year, the Irish Medical Organisation has said. And Dr John Sheehan, a GP based in Blackpool, joins me this morning. Good morning to you, John. Morning, John Paul. Now, many are welcoming this and it is good news, but GP surgeries, they are under pressure at the moment. We hear of patients finding it hard in some cases to see and meet a doctor. So will this now put further pressure on GPs like we saw with the earlier scheme? Um, you're right. I mean, there is a concern and certainly general practice in, is, is at fairly full capacity at the moment nationally and they're trying to recruit more uh, GP trainees 
And I teach on the, the GP training scheme here in, in, in Cork in UCC, and we've increased our numbers dramatically. But that's going to take some time before that sort of filters through. But I think it is a welcome development, and I certainly would support it. And for a couple of reasons, John Paul. First of all, in terms of scientific care, if you look at most European countries, we have um, uh, you know, free access to sort of primary care and GPs. Um, and really, I think that's what we want to care, and everyone would agree that we should do that. And the other thing is, in terms of workload, generally speaking, six- and seven-year-olds, thankfully, are very healthy. And you don't see them as much as, um, you know, one- and two-year-olds, where they're small, they tend to pick up more things, they get more bugs, there's more uncertainty, they can't tell you what's up with them. So the visit rate for, for six- and seven-year-olds will be much, much less than um, they, when the under-sixes came in. So that was a big uh, um, and a big increase in, in, in workload. I don't think for six- and seven-year-olds the same increase in workload would happen because for the most part, thankfully, they're all playing. They, you know, they, they, they've had a lot of their infections and their immune system has built up a bit. Um, and I, I, I would welcome it. I think it's a, as a society, I think this is where we should be going. We should be looking after our children. We should be looking after you know, uh, older people. And this is part of the measure. And all the parties who signed up to science care agree that this is where we go. And there's never going to be a right time. I know practices are busy and after COVID and all the other stresses and strains that happen, practices are busy. But this won't be a, uh, the big jump that the under sixes was, which was a huge number coming in all at once. This is more of an extension of people who've already had, you know, up to up to the age of six, uh, a doctor visit card. And now it goes to uh, six and seven. So, you know, I don't think we'll have the same volume of people suddenly coming in. And let's be honest, nobody wants to go to a doctor and, you know, sit in a doctor's room unless they really have to. You know, um, it's not the you know most joyful thing to be doing. So, you know, these are the parents who are worried about their children and I would firmly support uh, the extension of it. And indeed, for those who may not be able to afford the GP, at least if there is something wrong with a child, it's better to get it looked at sooner rather than later. So it will help a lot of families. And you mentioned slide to care in time. This will go to the age of 13. Uh, but you touched there on the shortage of GPs. And I did mention the patients are finding it hard still to access uh, their GP due to the pressures that are on surgeries. I mean, it, it won't happen overnight that you're going to get a new batch of GPs in. But are there still people going forward to look at joining local practices? I mean, we heard last year where those training uh, young doctors, they wanted just to go to another country because of the, I suppose the first of all, the working hours, but the pressures that you guys face. Well, yes, you're dead right. It, it, it certainly is a challenge. Now, thankfully, over the last few years, they've nearly all stayed around. Maybe one or two will go away for, 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 for career reasons, but for the vast majority of them, they're staying around. And our, our final years now, we're, we're finishing in July, our final year trainees and going into practice, since last September, they've been getting job offers pretty much every week in, in Mallow, in West Cork, North Cork, East Cork, full-time, part-time. You know, they, 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 they're getting, um, you know, there's people just really, really looking for. And that's for a variety of reasons. Um, our, our, our GP colleagues, including myself, are getting older. Um, so in, in some areas, a third of GPs are due to retire in, in the next sort of five to ten years. And then the other thing is the nature of general practice is changing. So I'm here in Blackpool, John Paul, for nearly 20 years. And when I took over, I took over from my colleague who, who, who saw John Dorgan, who saw a, you know, a big number of people. Now we have 
three doctors pretty much doing the same work because we manage a lot of more uh, diseases in the community, such as diabetes, such as people are living longer, heart disease, all of those things. That's absolutely great, but it means you need more GPs to manage the same number of people. And we need to look at that um, in how we're, going to, um, how we're going to change it. One of the things I did last week, I, I, I met Stephen Donnelly, the Minister for Health, was down, and we were talking about, you know, at the moment you have, if you're sick, you go to your GP, and then if you need to be referred, for, for the most part, it's about going to outpatients or going to A&E, and no one really wants to go to A&E. So what they're doing now is they are developing these hubs um, and they're beginning to, 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 to start off. And one of the first one now is St. Mary's Health Campus, where uh, there's a geriatrician after being appointed. And it's sort of an intermediate sort of way between A&E and outpatient. And there's going to be a lot more stuff like that happening in Cork and Mallow over the next couple of years. And those sort of things are things that will make a bit of a difference and uh, improve the quality of care that will be given to patients. So there's some positive things that, uh, that are happening. But right, in the short term, it is a stretch. Um, we've never been busier, and I think every other practice, I think, would probably agree with, the same, with that. And before we let you go, John, the second case of monkeypox was confirmed in the Republic a few days ago. Now, experts are saying this is nothing like COVID, but still, we have a lot of people asking questions here on a daily basis. I mean, it is contagious, and while it's not going to be a pandemic, they say... If you are in a shop, as one texter here, Eileen, is asking if you are in a shop and maybe someone had monkeypox and still may be contagious, they touch a box of cornflakes and then you're the next person that touches that box. I mean, can it transfer that easily? Uh, are people over worrying about this? Uh, people, I think people are over worrying about it. And I think part of that is due to its name, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, um, you know, this is usually spread by by, 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 by droplet secretion. So you have to be very close contact. It doesn't hang around in the air. You know, you have to be, you know, fairly intimate with someone um, in order to get it. Um, I don't think it's going to be anything remotely like COVID. I don't, I think it's going to be something that they'll just keep an eye on and they'll issue warnings and precautions about, but I wouldn't be um, overly worried about it. And what I lean, the, the point I mean, I lean made there regarding, for example, that that situation in a supermarket, someone touches something and you're the next person to touch it, maybe a door or, or whatever. I mean, when you mentioned how it can transfer, could it transfer that way? Not, not that we know of. No, okay. it doesn't seem to. Yeah. So, so, and and one of the things that we've taken out of COVID is that we're we're, we're much more conscious of, I suppose, of, of of you know sanitizing and all of that sort of thing. So, the habits that we developed over COVID are generally good habits for reducing all kinds of infections, whether it's the flu or colds or things like that. So, keeping up those habits of hand washing and things like that, and you know, and sanitizing um, is generally good to be doing anyway. But from a doctor perspective, there's nothing major to worry about anyhow regarding monkeypox. No. 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 Okay, no. well, for the moment, uh, Dr. John Sheehan, uh, thanks for joining us uh, this morning on the programme. Thanks, John Paul. Take care. Dr. John Sheehan there, a GP in Blackpool. Your views are welcome. 0818-103-103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Let's cork today until 1 and still to come after 12.30. Peter Doddall will be answering your gardening questions. If you have a question for Peter, get that into us as soon as you can. And also, we're going to be hearing about the Long Way Home Vintage Run, which is a tractor run which is going to go from the Mizzen to Mallon Head in four days. We'll chat to the organisers of that shortly. 
And also we're going to discuss how travelling to Cork City, this can be the only option for someone who finds themselves in an abusive relationship. It's a report that is out over the last few days and we'll discuss that with the author of the report very shortly. Uh, But your views are welcome on whatever you want to raise as well on the show this morning and what we are discussing to Bernie 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Earlier we had a number of calls in from people who were having phone problems and broadband problems. Well, another one in from the Kentucky area. This person is asking why they have no broadband still and they can't get it to work. Well, uh, the reason there, it goes back to an issue that was actually happening yesterday evening and yesterday afternoon in the Kentucky and New Market areas. It seems about 3,500 homes and businesses in Duhalla were left without landline and broadband services, but it did affect mainly the Kentucky and the New Market areas yesterday evening. So air are working on those problems and it seems they still are. So that could be uh, the reason why you have you in Kentuck, where you're texting from, are having problems this morning uh, with your broadband. And then we had another texter asking about the three network in West Cork. They had no reception yesterday and they were getting fed up, they said, with three because this happened again two or three weeks ago. Well, we contacted three this morning and they have just come back uh, to us and says and confirmed that there was an issue yesterday uh, across the West Cork region with three. Now, this was resolved yesterday evening and at the moment there should be no outages, uh, but there was an issue yesterday with three in West Cork. But at the moment now that has been resolved. So hopefully for that texter, you have full coverage of uh, broadband or 4G services and indeed phone services for three uh, where you are there in West Cork uh, and hopefully... Um, you will, won't have any further problems in the future uh, and those lines in Kentucky New Market an update on that air are working on that and hopefully they will be all restored this afternoon we'll keep you updated on that situation now oil uh, and petrol and f- diesel and fuel prices in general we were discussing uh, earlier in the programme and it's coming on the back of the latest inflation figure for Ireland which is at 8.2% we were discussing uh, with Dermot Jewell of the Consumer Association of Ireland how food is on the increase as we all know and has been on the increase and they've been tracking the price of an average basket of supermarket goods for over 20 years and this is the first time in a long while where they have seen the price that go up weekly and not monthly but on oil as it is affecting us in every way because food will increase as well if there's going to be a delivery uh, cost and that delivery cost will come from transporting that food and of course transportation needs fuel so it will have a roundabout effect and on this of tech says a lot of businesses are taking advantage of what is going on and just pushing up the prices. Reduced VAT and prices will not go down. It's all greed. If the government go ahead and change the VAT rate, it won't make a difference. We still have to still get our oil from Russia. We can't just cut off our main supplier of oil, says this person on WhatsApp. And this person says, I don't care about the war in Ukraine. I would still buy oil from Russia, says that person on WhatsApp to 0862103103. And then we heard the various costs of fuel uh, in various points of Cork this morning. The average when we were looking earlier on was roughly, I think, was 196 for petrol and 195 for diesel. There the average cost of driving around various uh, petrol stations are passing them this morning on their way to the studios and then we had calls from other regions in Cork Blarney Newmarket were, were two of them where petrol was around 205 or 206 and diesel was at 199 so depending where you go 
there is a major difference so shop around when it comes to your petrol and diesel and uh, this is a voice note into us as well from Eileen if you want to send us a voice note please do uh, via WhatsApp you can just uh, click on the microphone which is down the bottom right hand corner on your WhatsApp app on your phone and send us a voice note of what you want to say here on the programme but this is from Eileen Hi JP I got diesel in Naknahini this morning for 191.8 there we go. So 191.8. Good value there, Aline, in Nocknihini. So I think the message for so far, anyhow, and things will change over the course of the next few days. But chop around for your petrol and diesel. There is still value to be had out there, but it will depend on how things uh, change uh, in individual diesel and petrol stations over the next few days. So let us know where you are finding the best value, like Aileen did there. You can text her WhatsApp 0862103103 or send us a WhatsApp voice note to. 0862103103 and then staying with the food situation again and this is from a listener who says I went to my super value yesterday and I spotted a 2.1 kg of chicken priced at 6 euro 89 cent but then the very same chicken the same weight was priced at 5.29 in Lidl 2 plus 2 does not make 4 there and Lidl certainly are not visiting the poll so something is wrong somewhere someone is being ripped off well when we've looked into this before, it depends on, first of all, the supermarket and where the chicken comes from and all of that kind of thing, but also on how much they buy in. And some supermarkets will say bigger chains can purchase more and chains that might have more buying power from a region. They could be buying for, you know, the whole of the UK and Ireland rather than just Ireland. Uh, and that's why they can offer a better value. So that's just one of the examples I can only give on that. And, you know, the people, the supermarkets are, are different and they will give their own reasons and why prices change. But again, like so many others, you shop around. If you feel there's better value to be had elsewhere, uh, that's all we can encourage people to do is to shop around. And on things being so expensive here and food inflation a texter saying why is this country so expensive the whole time not only now but I mean years ago as well because I was in London recently this person says and I could buy paracetamol for 28 pence in the Poundland shop I never bought one here for that price and yeah anything like a paracetamol is going to be cheaper uh, for some reason and there's the various factors again when it comes to the differences in pricing uh, between the UK and Ireland but I know if you were ever in, in even in Northern Ireland uh, and you're going into one of the shops there Sainsbury's or whatever and you will notice if you want to buy paracetamol or whatever uh, like that you will see a considerable difference uh, compared to the prices here and Mary Indon Manway uh, she feels the 200 euro credit for the bills that was given from the energy bills the ESB bills uh, was not enough uh, she feels the government now needs to look at health car and home insurance costs as well she is trying every week to buy the cheapest food uh, but it is all still going up the government needs to reduce the 23% VAT rate people just simply can't afford to live anymore uh, says Mary Indon Manway so while we did all welcome the 200 euros credit it's still now not enough considering everything is going up and up and any credits that we are getting are being swallowed up and then staying on food Laura is in Kilworth and something that you know we discuss a lot and a lot of this can go back to the production of the food but she's asking why is gluten free food so expensive and uh, yeah it can be and still is and uh, you know, when we bring this up they, it goes back to the production values and the produce that goes into gluten-free food and then the it, it should be the same and I know many of the I know the Celiac Association are always campaigning uh, for price comparison when it comes to uh, gluten-free food it does, hasn't happened and I know many of my friends 
uh, who you know are have to buy gluten free food. Uh, the price is huge when, especially back to my house sharing days, when you're sharing with three or four lads and you have somebody who is gluten free and has to go and get gluten free food. And because of that, when you're doing this weekly shop, you all see the difference at the ends uh, of the, the till. And it can be a huge difference of 20 to 30 euro compared to those who aren't buying a gluten free food. So, yeah, and when we've checked that out before, it goes back to the production values that they tell us anyhow. But it's something that uh, I think isn't going to change anytime soon especially not at the moment anyway the way things are going in the food industry and back to the issue of oil Mossy is asking is there any way that there will be no oil as in we never use oil again going forward into the future or are we going to be paying extra for the same amount of oil it smells as Mossy of greedy oil barons and gouging seems to be the most popular thing at the moment when it comes to pricing of course we are not stupid or dummies of course this problem can be sorted but are we stupid or naive asks Mossy to text an 0862103103 and a text that came in earlier this morning this is to do with uh, branches and roadsides and a texter saying there's a branch overhanging and it's covering half the road on the Mill Street side of Kilcorny Creamery now this is a very dangerous road as vehicles have had to swerve to the other side of the road on a bins to avoid this overhanging branch but the question this person is asking is it the council or the landowner's responsibility well when you check on the council even their the Cork Coco website they will say it's the landowner's responsibility to cut anything that's on the, the hedgerows or the ditch it, it is up to the landowner to look after that and make sure that everything is cut and adhered to for road safety but if it isn't being done the council then because you're saying this is a hazard to drivers in this instance the council may have to come out and deal with this situation so that it doesn't cause an accident but the first responsibility would be with the landowner but then if they they're not you know, taking responsibility for that. It will go to the council. Um, so at this stage, if, if you feel that it's uh, wherever it is in the road, it would be an up to the, the council really to contact them and see if they can follow up either with the landowner or they may have to go out themselves like we have seen in the past and deal with the situation because, as you say, it's dangerous for the road there and could cause an accident in the uh, Kilcorny uh, side of Mill Street. Anyhow, thank you for your text. 86 or you can call Bernie 0818 C103 Jobs. Warehouse supervisor is wanted for Clonakilty. You can email your CV to curry.murphy at osborne.ie. There is a number of community employment vacancies across the West Cork area. A general maintenance person required in the Lislevan, Butlerstown area. Two general maintenance people required in Kilbritton. Childcare support in Timaleague Play School. And a retail assistant in the Cork McSherry Co op store. And Jones Agri in Valley Desmond, they have a vacancy for a yard person and a general operative for duties including tyre fishing, loading and unloading deliveries. You can contact Matthew on 87 You'll find these jobs and more online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs. Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818-103-103. For many, travelling to Cork City can be the only option when accessing services for victims of sexual assault. It's something we've discussed on the show for the past 30 years. And listening to survivors of sexual violence and their supports in West Cork takes in the views of 23 survivors. Well, Caroline Crowley is author of the report and she joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Caroline. 
Good morning, JP. How are you doing? I'm fine and thanks for joining us. I mean, the new research was commissioned by the West Cork Women Against Violence and this was to show the reality of what life is like when living in this situation in a rural area. And as I mentioned, it's something we have heard from people who find themselves, unfortunately, in this situation. For many now, at least, you know, this group are here, but for many over the years, they weren't and they turned to the likes of us, the local radio station, to see where they could get help. But all we could do is divert them into Cork's city and that might not be possible for everybody. Oh absolutely JP and um, uh, uh, I just wanted to mention for anybody listening to us right now just to flag two helplines uh, while we're having this discussion uh, because again we lack resources in West Cork which is what this research and our conversation is all about so just to flag with people listening today that if it raises any issues for them there's a 24-hour helpline in in the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre, one eight hundred double seven double eight double eight, or the Samaritans are always available day or night at double one six one two three. And you're right, JP, to start the conversation about um, this this being about people in West Cork deserving support. It's a social justice issue, and having to drive to Cork City or having to drive to Tralee, where the nearest special services are. It's just, it's too much to ask for people that have gone through um, life-changing experiences um, as as happens after sexual assault or rape. So our research has been, it's been developing over a number of years and it's being led locally in West Cork by the West Cork Women Against Violence. But of course, sexual violence is an issue for all people, all ages, all gender, sexual orientation identities. So while the local organisation that we have uh, supporting women and their children around sexual violence has led out on it because they see the need in their own work, they very much recognise that this is a much broader issue. So what we've been doing is uh, conducting research and listening to survivors who looked for help from West Cork and they've been helping us to learn what we need to do in response to it. And I think to highlight an issue like you were doing, the best way is to get the first-hand information and the stories that were coming out from those survivors. I mean, they're, they're shocking in one instance, but to think what is going on behind closed doors and then people are, are trying to get to a safe place or trying to make up excuses on why they need to get on a bus and find the money to get on a bus and travel to Cork City. I know, it's the most simple, like, it's it's so human, the stories that they're sharing. And it, once you hear them, you realise, of course, I mean, it, it goes without saying that for for a child, I mean, I suppose to, to go back to who we heard from, uh, we heard from 23 survivors in all, and 18 of them were able to fill out the full survey. It was a questionnaire that they filled out. And um, the first really shocking finding, JP, was that three quarters of them first experienced sexual violence as a child and half of them were age 12 or younger. So even before you get to the barriers of finding money for a bus, getting off school or getting off work, if you're a parent finding a a childminder, even before you get to that point, what people were sharing with us is when they experienced sexual violence as a child, they didn't know or understand what had happened to them. Um, They didn't even know the language to use to explain it to somebody else. 
But the other thing that really jumped out at us from hearing about their experiences, especially in childhood or as a young teen when they were 16 years or younger, was that only two respondents first told their parents they were much more likely to turn to another child or teenager, including being less than 10 years old. So you can start to see that the barriers are much more than just logistical, um, which is why in the four recommendations that we have drawn out from the, the testimonies that were shared with us, we, we start to talk about not only needing a specialist service within West Cork with the specialist supports to support not just the survivors and their families and their support network, but the services themselves, the other services like the Gardaí, the GPs, the mental health services, the social workers. But we also need to share this load beyond the services. We need to share it inside and outside of the school gate and raise all of our awareness and education so that if... Any, anything ever happens to any of us or if anybody in their hour of need turns to one of us that we will be ready to listen without judgment to hear them and to be able to support them and help them to find the help that they need so there's a whole education and awareness piece around this as well totally and the education really needs to be within families i mean some of the cases you mentioned there from those survivors one i was reading that uh, a relative abused the child and when they brought it up in later years, they were basically told that, oh, he does that to everybody, as in move on. Absolutely. Um, I, and we, so we heard that whole uh, minimising an experience that's as, as traumatic as sexual violence, so there's minimisation. There's denial. There's people literally who turned away from a child or a teen or an adult who turned to them um, and just said, you know, just forget about it or um, even blame. People are being blamed for being a victim of sexual violence. And that's where it's where the uh, education and awareness comes in, JP, for all of us. So that we, we know that the number one thing we have to do is hold a person, listen to them, support them and let them know it was not their fault. So that's the number one response. And we immediately get the medical attention. Um, but the other thing is what we heard from the survivors is that it's much more than information that people need, both in terms of being a survivor or, or supporting somebody. It's about helping us all to see our blind spots, to understand our own biases that we've grown up with. I mean, I'm in my 50s now, so I grew up in an Ireland where um, talking about uh, sex, reproduction, relationships, it just wasn't on our radar. And instead, what we got was a very conservative um, perspective on all of this. And it was, you know, it was quite taboo, really, to talk openly about uh, our sexuality, um, sensuality, intimacy. We're in a different time now, but the stories that are coming out still reflect that there are conservative attitudes holding us back. And even children and teenagers, they pick up on that. So um, one of the things that uh, Margot Noonan, who's the forensic nurse examiner at the Cork Sexual Assault and Treatment Unit in the South Infirmary Victoria University Hospital in Cork said, because of course Margot sees, Margot and our colleagues, they see a lot of people in, in their Arab need. And she said <coughs> that we need to, excuse me, pardon me, that we actually need 
to work with children and teenagers to hear from them how to share this information and how to talk about these issues in ways that are meaningful for them. And she said, and other people at the event, at the launch of the research yesterday said that we need to be very attentive when children or teenagers turn to us and they might dip their toe in the water. They might send some kind of signal that they want to have a, a conversation with us about something. And based on our initial reaction, they will decide whether to disclose or not. And that's why us all being very much aware of where we all stand in our attitudes to talking about sexuality and sexual reproduction and sexual violence. It, it can mean a huge difference to somebody, including a child or a teen or an adult, finding help immediately or having to bottle up and repress it for years or decades, which is some of the experiences that we did here. And in the meantime, that trauma it bubbles up in people's lives in different ways and it has long-term consequences. And we heard some very powerful testimonies in, in the research. And of course, this is all publicly available for, for people and your listeners. Very powerful testimonies, including the lifelong physical effects of sexual violence against children. Um, very powerful testimony on how somebody has been in and out of hospital with all kinds of, of surgeries as a result of that. So these are very hard-hitting testimonies. We need to hear them. We need to listen. We need to respect their experiences. And most of all, we need to respond to them. And they gave us four clear steps that we can do now in West Cork. And what I would say is West Cork is not exceptional. There were at our event yesterday launching the report, there were people from you know national and regional agencies that were in, at the event because they're watching what's happening in West Cork as a potential model for other rural regions around Ireland, but other regions in general, because we're taking a very um, multi-level uh, approach to this. Yeah, and as you mentioned, the stories there, you know, they could be in any part of Ireland or any part of Cork. It could be North Cork, it could be East Cork. It's just this report is concentrating on, on West Cork. And you mentioned there about the, the teen or the child who's coming forward. I suppose it's the trust thing. And if they feel that someone will understand them or, or give them space to tell their story, that's when the information from them will flow out. But also, if there's parents or guardians or somebody else who may feel there's something not right, you might have the gut feeling that something isn't sitting right with you within a person's relationship with somebody else in the household or, or elsewhere, uh, not to kind of, I suppose, force yourself on them, but at least to see can they talk and open up? Because, you know, as you mentioned there, yes, there's a certain generation that is very conservative, but I think also, Caroline, the younger people today, those maybe in their 40s, 30s and 20s, are a lot more open to talking about anything to do with sex. Yes, absolutely. And at the same time, uh, it you were even to sit down and, and say to somebody, um, you know, you know, just just let them know that you're able to hear them. You're able to to to, to listen to what they have to say. Um, I, I'm a researcher, JP. I come from a completely different discipline to the one I happen to be working in. It's I'm like any rural person. Um, I kind of work with the, the, the opportunities that present to me. This was an opportunity that presented to me to work in this area. And let me tell you, I was terrified. I really felt I was not up to, to, to doing this work because I knew nothing about it. And I had my own 
fears and, and concerns about could I could I do this work? The thing is, and I've learned this from my own experiences, that the more we talk about this, the more we listen to people who have been through these experiences, the more the barriers come down that we have built up around ourselves and around this topic. And we can actually relate on a human level. So if you are somebody really important in another person's life and you think that you can be there for them and just listen to what they have to say and help them to get the support they need, then you are absolutely equipped to do this. Um, You also might know somebody that will be that person for for an individual who presents to you if you don't feel that you are the best person in that uh, time. So that's when turning to one of the helplines that I gave out where those people at the end of the line can help you to find the right person. For, for someone to speak to if you're not that person. But don't turn away. Don't leave them alone. Let them know that they are heard and they are listened to. Um, the four recommendations that we got out of this research, JP, and there's a huge appetite. I wanted to, to leave people very hopeful about this. The turnout we had at the launch of this research yesterday from all agencies, people from all different kinds of professions in education and mental health, in psychology, the Gardaí, uh, the social work departments, the GPs, they were all there yesterday, including survivors and supporters and family members of survivors. And what there is in West Cork around this issue is huge solidarity. Nobody's turning away. Everybody recognises that it's going to take every single shoulder at the wheel to to move this forward. We're not leaving it any longer on the shoulders of just survivors and their close loved ones or the few frontline services working on this. We are coming together as a community and West Cork is key to this or North Cork or any other community because last year when I was driving 600 kilometres back and forth across West Cork, visiting every village, crossroads, small town, big town. And I was going with flyers about this research and I was nervous about oh, how are people going to receive this? Are they going to put it up in their shop, in their butcher shop, in the library, in the barbers, in the hairdressers, beauty salon? Everybody took that flyer from me. I remember a 60-year-old man in a pub in a village um, took the flyer from me and said, this is so important. I coached the local girls team and, and I... This, this is an issue for us. So nobody's turning away. Um, and that's what's so important about doing it all together across the community. It's why it's been so important having the media from C103, the Southern Star, the Irish Examiner, all coming on board, sharing information about this with your audiences. So I do want to, before we end, I do want to make sure that I do flag the four recommendations. Yeah, that that was my next question of following this report now, Caroline. What recommendations will come out? Because I presume one of those is the now need for extra services. I mean, West Cork in its own right is a county in its own. It's a long distance from many parts of that region to the city. So I, I would hope that one of the recommendations will be to provide more services rather than just outreach services. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And even when we've spoken with the specialist services, the rape crisis centres in, you know, outside of the region, they had done outreach before in places like West Cork. But the trouble is outreach, whenever there's um, a tightening up of funding, and that that happens periodically, the outreach disappears and it goes back to the the core centre. So, yes, West Cork, it's, it's larger 
a larger population than County Carlow. So we ha- we're, we're like a county in ourselves, this particular uh, part of the county. So yes, we do need our own service. And in that service, we need to have support workers who can work with people when they're in a crisis and accompany them to different services, be there for them, be that you know anchor for them in their hour of need. And we need to have counsellors that can work one-to-one or in group work both of which the survivors said they would they would like to have available to them. A great thing about doing this uh, in the way we've done at JP and listening to the services that are already here, the GPs, the mental health workers, the social workers, the guards, um, the teachers, the chaplains, the counsellors, all of those individuals, there's, there's already an awful lot of work going on on the ground, so we don't need to duplicate it. What we need to is complement it. And this is about being very smart with our resources and bringing in what we need and not duplicating and working and collaborating with who's on the ground and the relationships among the services in, in a place like West Cork or a place like North Cork, rural areas, there's very strong relationships among the services. So that's the first thing, bring in what's needed to really add that specialist expertise. The second thing is about training. The um, survivors told us that they, they wanted to be met in a certain way by the guards, by the social workers, even by the judiciary when they go into court. And all of that needs to improve. So we are flagging with those organisations that um, frontline workers do need to be trauma-informed. They need to know that when a person is going through trauma, it does change how they behave, how they can process information, share information, um, and that the survivor is also at the heart of those engagements. Um, But also the GPs, the mental health workers, the social workers, the support workers all want to have continuing professional development in this. The third thing was to share the information. We've talked how important it is both inside and outside of the school gates that we share this information with everybody and we raise all of our awareness um, around this whole area. And the last thing is it's, it's kind of upstream of this conversation, JP, but this is actually really important and this is why we're taking a very long-term holistic approach. It's all about investing in children, in parenting, in child rearing, in families. The first step that we need to do in West Cork in response to investing more at the very early stages of life in West Cork is develop family resource centres in Bantry, in Clonakilty. Two of our four large towns have no family resource centre. These are cradle-to-grave services that are do phenomenal work. We need them in all of our towns, and we also need them to be resourced fully for the population that they serve. And these are places where people, when the first signs of, uh, of family conflict, of issues within families or issues within communities bubble up. These are places that people that might be isolated, that may not know who to turn, they can always turn to a family resource centre. And this is about prevention and early intervention. Because in parallel with helping the people that have experienced sexual violence now, we want to stop it happening in the future. And this is all about our zero tolerance for sexual violence. And those family resource centres, I mean, they are in so many other areas of Cork and indeed the country. So, you know, why not in those you mentioned there? Caroline, I know you said at the outset you were nervous starting about this report when you were undertaking the work. I mean, you've done a fantastic job. So well done to you on this report. It opens up the whole conversation uh, around sexual abuse and indeed, you know, the measures that now need to be taken and hopefully they will. And thanks for joining us this morning on the programme.
Thank you so much, JP. And can I just lastly thank the people that worked with me on this project, Michelle Nagel, uh, West Cork Therapist, the West Cork Women Against Violence Project Team, the Cork Statue, the Kerry Rape and Sexual Abuse Centre, and I hope and uh, GPs at the Bantry Primary Care Centre. So thank you to everybody. And thank you to you, JP, and all your listeners. Well, indeed, and a good group there. You mentioned uh, who would do a lot of work, as it is in all those regions. Uh, Caroline, thanks for joining us uh, this morning. That's Caroline Crowley there, the author of uh, that report. And again, if you have been affected by what we're discussing this morning, uh, the West Cork Women Against Violence, their number is 1-800-203-136. And as we mentioned at the start of that interview, the national 24-hour helpline for the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre, one 800 77 8888 or you can contact the Samaritans on 116123 You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed Cork Today on C103 Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 0862103103 The long way home isn't to Malin Tractor Run is taking place this June Bank holiday weekend and Dermot French joins me to chat more on this Good morning to you Dermot Hi, John Paul. How are you? And thanks for joining us. I'm fine, thanks. Now, this is someone taking. You're going to drive these Vintus tractors from the Mizzen to the Mallon in just four days. That's right. We're leaving the Mizzen tomorrow morning at six o'clock and we're driving as far as Tralee tomorrow night and from Tralee to Galway on Friday. And we're going from Galway then to Donegal Town on, Thurs- on Saturday and from there to Mallon on Sunday. And the tractors, as I mentioned, they're vintage tractors. So what speed, on average, will you be we'll, travelling? We'll average 20 kilometres an hour. That's what we do for the whole run. Wow. And you're confident you'll, you make it in the four days? Oh, we will. We will yeah. make it, yeah. We'll have probably about 10, 10 hours driving. The first and second day, we'll have about 12 or 13 hours on the third day. And about nine hours on the fourth day. It's a long time to be sitting on a tractor. It is, it is. But look, we're, we're well used to it. We have a lot of long hauls. The charity runs done over the years, and we're really looking forward to it. And I mean, you, as you say, you've done a lot over the years. What got you interested in this in, in tractor charity runs like this? I mean, are you a farmer yourself? Yeah, we're looking from a farming background. My yeah. father was a farmer, and it's just always interested in tractors. So there's a group of us. We 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 uh, we're, we're doing runs a long time. We did a 500 kilometer run there, but in 2018, 24 hours covered 500 kilometers with no stop. Oh, that's um, some some journey. I actually remember that one. Yeah, that was a, bit, a massive achievement to undertake was, yeah, at that time. Yeah, we've done runs over to Wales and around the country. A lot of them done. But how this journey really got started was there was a friend of mine up in County Mead rang me back in 2019 to know would we be interested in doing this Mizzant Mallon run with them. So it was actually organised for a June Bank Holiday weekend of 2020, but obviously COVID hit in, mm. so it was cancelled. We postponed it for 12 months until 21, but to still to postpone for another 12 months, so it's way ahead this year. And the the tractor yourself that you'll be driving on today? Yeah, I have a David Brown 880, it's 1967. Well, 67, so it's well, oh. able, for, it's well able for the journey. If it's, has ah, it done, have you obviously driven that from before, have you? Oh, I have, yeah. yeah. I have it with a long time. We have a lot of, lot so of It's ready for most the long of, journey. Most of the tractors we have are kind of in the 60s, up to the, the early 70s that'd be the age of them and you mentioned there the other clubs uh, Meath was one of them there, there is yeah, others getting involved as well in this isn't there and it's all for charity for two charities it's all, it's all for two charities the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust and the uh, Temple Street Children's Hospital 
And tell me why both those? Well, look, I suppose Temple Street is one anyway that really, it's, it, you know, anyone with children really has it lost their heart to, in case they ever need it. Now, also, the, the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust is, is brilliant. It's to help, um, basically, if you have any relative dies out foreign, it, it helps the family to, to bring them home. Yeah, both of those do great work and we have spoken to them in the past so they are two yeah. well-deserving charities. So yeah. if people are along the route, uh, would you ask them to give you a wave, blow the horn? Because oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. 6am tomorrow yeah. morning, is it you're leaving from we're, the Mizzen? We're leaving the Mizzen at 6 o'clock. We're heading into Bantry, out to Glengariff, Kinnair, over Miles Gap, down at Killarney and out to Tralee. So there you go. If you see those tractors tomorrow yeah. on the way, you'll know what they're up to. The long way home uh, long vintage way home, run. Yeah. Well, it is a long way. Can I wish you the very best of luck, Dermot, with it? Thank I hope you. it all goes well for you. That's and we'll, you uh, we'll have you back again in, in Lep and West Cork, hopefully, all, all together next Super. week. Hopefully we'll be back Monday. Do you have to drive right. back down then? With the, no, with the no, tractors? no. They're coming down in trucks on Monday. Oh, are they? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, about yeah. That. All right. Well, the very best of luck. All right. uh, you much, the weather's yeah. supposed to be good anyway, so it's it should, should work well for you. Enjoy it. Thanks, Dermot. Dermot French there from the long way home Ventures tractor run running from tomorrow morning at 6am from the Mizzen making their way to Mallon and they will do it in four days the best of luck to all involved there uh, fundraising for two very worthy charities Temple Street Children's Hospital and the Kevin Bell Repatriation Fund JP with you Bernie taking your calls and comments right now on 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 same number for your gardening questions a lot of them in already and Peter will be joining us after 12.30 the Irish gardener Peter Dowdall if you have a query get those into us and we'll put them to Peter after 12.30 but a lot of emails into us over the course of the last few days I'll get to those shortly uh, but earlier in the show we were discussing the food inflation and indeed what a lot of people are seeing this morning is more inflation again at the pumps when it comes to petrol and diesel and this is on the back of what came out yesterday from Brussels when on Taoiseach Michal Martin he's warned that consumers here in Ireland were going to face a new era of high energy prices and there's a number of factors but the biggest one many are saying is because of Russia's war on Ukraine and because of this then it's leading to what we're seeing this morning now not everywhere I must say because we've got calls from people who are seeing value for money when it comes to petrol and diesel but certainly the average prices we thought of 196 to 195 has changed now to about 206 for petrol and roughly 195 for diesel or it could be 199 for diesel in some parts um, we did hear earlier on this morning though from Eileen in the Knocknaheeny area who got diesel for 191 another text there from the Ross Carberry area saying petrol is at 205 and diesel is at 194 so again it just depends where you shop and all you can offer, I suppose, is to shop around. But that's the latest when it comes to petrol and diesel prices. If you know where there is value out there, let us know because the prices are changing uh, by the day at this stage, but going up, unfortunately. And that's the way they will go for the next while. And seemingly, this is the time of the year where, without any influence, the price of petrol and diesel does get higher for some reason in the summer months. But we're going to notice it uh, big time this year because of the fact they're high enough. So they're going to go up. And then you have everything else the outside factors like the war 
and like the way that energy prices are going to increase all playing a part and uh, then when we were discussing there just regarding the uh, tractor run uh, the long way home uh, from uh, Mizzen to Malin well there is another tractor run going the opposite way and that is going ahead as well at the weekend and this texture says uh, this vintage tractor run from Malin to Mizzen it's on this weekend it's an aid of Marymount and it's been organised by Rathcormack Vintage Club and it's for the late Joe Butler and the drivers we wish them well they are Keith Butler Kieran O'Donoghue James Kuhan, John Mulcahy and Tom Fitzgerald and that's from Jerry Carl in Castletown Roach so hello to you and well done again and best of luck to all those travelling with the Rathcormack Vintage Club they're going from Malin to Mizzen this weekend in aid of Marymount Hospice and an email we got in this is from Shirley uh, to Cork Today at C103.ie and this is happening and has happened in a lot of uh, cities and uh, county towns and other parts of Ireland and there is plans to paint pedestrian crossings with rainbow colours in Cork towns but they have been halted and Shirley thinks it's wrong they have been halted she says first of all they're very colourful they bring colour to the community and they also send out a message to the LGBTQ plus community and that could go a long way says Shirley in many rural towns but on this um, you are right it's because Cork County Council they have refused a motion on the basis that these new uh, pedestrian crossings that will be painted with rainbow colours so currently you have the black and white these then will be in rainbow colours that they could present a danger to road users and uh, that pedestrians and indeed maybe more so the motorists who are driving the car when they see or, or a truck or a van or whatever they're driving when they see these rainbow colours the fear maybe that they don't know it's a zebra crossing and they could drive on now it depends on the zebra crossing some have the lights flashing on either side some don't then either uh, so I presume that's where the from the council that's where their fear would be when they do say it's going to present a danger to road users Shirley feels it's wrong because she said I've seen this in many cities she's citing Bridge Street in Limerick and also she was in Arklow earlier in the year and she saw it there so she says why can't Cork Towns follow on well that's the reason now I know I was reading somewhere that uh, the uh, councillor West Cork councillor Paul Hayes uh, said that as you've outlined Shirley doing something like this will go a long way but at the moment anyhow uh, while Shirley thinks it's wrong and if other cities and towns can do it why can't Cork uh, she wants to know people's views on this uh, your views are welcome uh, do you agree with Cork County Council that uh, this changing the pedestrian crossings with rainbow colours could uh, pose a danger to road users or do you feel like Shirley and others that it does send out a message of support by changing uh, the pedestrian crossings and indeed painting them with rainbow colours? It does show support to the LGBTQ plus community uh, and that could go a long way. And as Shirley's pointing out, it could go a long way in many rural areas. Anyhow, your views are welcome on that. Uh, that was by email, Cork today at c103.ie or indeed you can call Bernie 0818103103 or text or WhatsApp 086. 6210303 and also this came in to us by email yesterday from Jake who says well I noticed you're discussing we were discussing this morning the food inflation here's an example that I have come up with myself over the last 2 to 3 months uh, I mean you mentioned yesterday uh, regarding how much packets of pasta have gone up well I did my own survey and I've noticed over the last maybe 4 to 5 months Jake says 40 cents the packet of pasta has gone up and that can be from own brand to branded goods. Then with bread, uh, bread has gone from roughly 
30 cents to nearly 50 cents of an increase over the last four to five, five months. And when it comes to beef, and this is minced beef that you would use maybe uh, in various dishes, uh, he feels that it's gone up nearly uh, over a euro by a euro 50. And rice also. These are all goods, as Jake outlines in his email, that would have been cheap and would have been goods that you would have made a good healthy dinner, but would have been done on the cheap. Uh, rice uh, gone up over 60 cents. Uh, so just some examples, JP, of what I have seen in the supermarkets over the last four or five months with regards to prices going up. Yes, they are going up. And for the basic food prices and the basic ingredients like pasta, like bread, like rice, uh, where you could live on the cheap now you're paying more for those it's getting impossible to eat in this country that's from Jake to Cork Today at c103.ie I have more emails here as well that we will get to very shortly and keep your comments coming to Bernie on 0818 103 103 an email in as well regarding the electric cars and the plan by uh, Electric Ireland and the ESB networks and this person making a good point uh, on the future of energy and the future of what we're hearing uh, from last year about blackouts because of the uh, lack of electricity supply. And then they're going down this green route and planning a major change. I'll bring you that email as well uh, very shortly. And also to come between now and one, of course, Peter Dowdall answering your gardening questions. If you have a gardening question, get those into us to Bernie as well by text or WhatsApp. But C103's exclusive online station, the Back Garden Festival, is back. We're streaming the biggest hits from this summer's headline acts with Harvey Norman and JBL. You're a specialist in sound this summer. Listen on our app or go to c103.ie. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. And Amcara will hold their face-to-face meeting in the Clayton Hotel in Silver Springs. That's going ahead tonight at quarter past seven. All bereaved parents are welcome to this free event, regardless of circumstances of death or the age of the child. Registration is not required. You can just turn up this evening to the Clayton Hotel in Silver Springs. And there is a Progressive 45 drive in Kilbrin Social Club. That's going ahead tonight at nine o'clock. Everyone is welcome there. And Mass in honour of St. Pio will be held in St. Joseph's Church in Lismire this evening at 8 o'clock and Bering's Crossroad Dancing it starts again for the summer months and it gets underway this coming Saturday evening in Bering's and they will then run every Saturday night for June, July and August. Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818-103-103. And yesterday on the show, we did send congratulations to Seamus Sexton from the NAD Bantir area. There was a homecoming last night for Seamus in Bantir, and the reason was he won gold at the recent European Bowling Championships. And another email in overnight, as we wish Seamus the very best of luck and well done on his achievements. Also, can I wish the best of luck to, and we did mention them yesterday, Bush, Rachel Kingston and Hannah Cronin on their great achievements also at the European Bowling Championships that were held in Germany. Uh, there was a homecoming for both Rachel and Hannah as well. That was held in Toher near Dunmanway. So the very best of luck to all who did so well on representing Ireland at the recent European Bowling Championships held in Germany. Now an email into us uh, over the last day or so on this is posing the question about the government because they have announced it is to, sit, to spend anyway about 300 million euros to set up the charging infrastructure that is planned for approximately 
approximately 1 million electric cars. Now, the person that is uh, on the email is questioning, where is the electricity going to come from? When last winter there was threats of blackouts as supply was not guaranteed and I believe following years where also this would include electric shortages. Well, on that uh, you're right because uh, this is coming from the government but also from the ESB networks and ESB networks themselves. Uh, They are trying to recruit over 1,000 people over the next three years to support the delivery of it's driven to make a difference. This is net zero by 2040 strategy and they're recruiting everybody from IT to HR to customer service all to deal with this. Uh, so while that is going on then we have the government then uh, on the other side along with them which want to go ahead and invest in these electronic charging points because the reason is there isn't as many as there should be across the country and if you speak to anybody who is looking to buy an electric car the one thing that would put you off is the charging points there simply is not enough and then if you have a driveway in your own home you might have some hope but a lot of people don't have that you're living in a housing estate your car might be parked in one of the spaces provided that may not be outside your front door if you live in an apartment block you could be in an underground car park or indeed again on the side of a street you mightn't have that luxury of able to be putting in your own charging so there there is a lot of questions being asked about this so that's why there is a need to put in place this infrastructure but you're right then the question a lot of people are asking where is the power going to come from where is the electricity going to come from because I was reading yesterday uh, and even though it was to do with the UK it was just in the, the UK Times I spotted this yesterday uh, that they are warning of electricity shortages across the United Kingdom but if they're going to have problems then we're going to have problems you know, the electricity isn't going we're not going to be immune from the whole situation if other countries in Europe are going to have electricity problems this winter we're the same and they're warning of again black blackouts across the winter in the UK due to shortages and I suppose you have to ask if if we're going to go this way with electric cars then we're looking at electricity shortages and what was in the article yesterday I read was again to do with the war in Ukraine so I don't know where this is going to go I mean mean, they've been planning this for a long long time and nothing has happened and they haven't you know gone ahead with the infrastructure but certainly if they're pushing us all to go electric I mean, I would not buy an electric car because where do you charge it? And nobody, I think, has time to be parking up and spending 30 minutes or an hour every day charging a car. You want to be able to do that maybe overnight. But then, you know, if you're rushing around, how many of us forget to charge our phones overnight if you're or even during the day? Uh, if you forget to charge your car then are you left with nowhere to go in the morning uh, but then if you don't have that luxury as I mentioned in your driveway it's grand if you can have it in your driveway if you can't have it in your driveway uh, a charger then you'll have to rely on the public ones which can be broken which can be in use so yeah I can see why they're doing it but you'd have to question uh, the logic then if we're going to face electricity shortages thank you very much for your email you can keep those coming to Cork today at c103.ie and something we touched on earlier this was the price of of medication and the difference of the price of medication here in Ireland compared to the UK. It was when we were talking about the food inflation with Dermot Jewell earlier from the Consumer Association of Ireland. Uh, A listener was comparing the price of paracetamol that they purchased in London compared to the price here. 
Well, just stick with Ireland for the moment because a survey of almost every pharmacy in the country has found a huge variation in the cost of basic medicines. And this is research carried out by the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland. And it seems that for basic medications, you could see a huge difference in pricing and even double the price in some uh, pharmacies. The survey, it was done on a range of drugs in over 1,000 pharmacies across Ireland. And it found that many products the price was a lot higher in chain pharmacies compared to independent pharmacies. For example, the price comparison, if you look and you want the same quantity of aspirin, for example, it could cost as little as four euros in one pharmacy. You could go around the corner to another pharmacy and it could cost nine euros. Uh, So like what we mentioned earlier, you're best to shop around for your various drugs you may need. I mean, that's a huge difference for the same quantity of aspirin difference. So, you know, four euro to nine euro. Uh, So, yes, definitely shop around. And when it comes to that. And indeed, when it comes to anything, I think at this stage, from fuel to medication. And I mentioned the tractor runs there. Temperatures are going to set 21 degrees this bank holiday weekend, as people are wondering what's it going to be like across the weekend. Well, it's going to be good because uh, tomorrow we'll see some rain hitting us here across Cork. And then Friday, uh, we will see that rain leaving. It will leave showers, though, across Friday. But overall, the weekend will be good. There is going to be some low pressure over the south coast here. That will leave us having some of those showers across Saturday and Sunday but outside of that we'll have good clear spells and temperatures are going to be in the low 20s 20 to 21 degrees is possible here in Cork across the weekend so enjoy that but of course with that there is a number of warnings coming our way one of them from uh, ESB and this is from those who manage the reservoirs and the one here of course in Cork and in Ascara they're asking people not to be swimming in those areas due to the risk of deep and fast flowing waters and the ever changing water levels and uneven ground at those reservoirs and also beach swimmers and to be wary because there's this weaver fish that's around at the moment across our beaches basically it hides in the sand it's the same colour more or less of sand that browny kind of colour light brown colour and all you'll see is his eyes popping up but if it bites you you'll feel it. And also be careful of the Man of War jellyfish. They're around again at the moment and they also provide uh, some painful stings. So just take note of that. If the weather is good and you're hitting the beaches at the weekend, uh, beware of uh, those two who will be lurking around the beach waiting for you. Anyhow, whatever your plan is for the weekend, enjoy it. We're going gardening next with Peter. Uh, keep your gardening questions coming to us. 0818 103 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 And it's time to join the Irish gardener Peter Doddall this afternoon. Afternoon to you, Peter. Hi, Peter. Can you hear What's us? What's up, John Paul? Can you hear me? I can hear you now, Peter. How are you today? No, we're having we're having problems with WhatsApp. We might have to go on the phone line, I think, on this one, Bernie. Um, unfortunately, the, the reception on WhatsApp ain't working uh, for some reason. So we'll go to phone line for Peter very shortly. And a lot of questions in for Peter. So we'll get to them quite shortly here on the programme. We have to wait to line Peter up on the phone line. It gives me a chance, though, to mention that John Green's Where the Road Takes Me programme is going to be from Cormac Sherry uh, this weekend. He's going to be talking to so many from Cormac Sherry who were involved in 
the community and you'll be hearing those who were involved in the lifeboat on that famous call out to the stricken Lusitania this was in May of 1915 there's a visit also to what is described as the coldest place in the village uh, aptly christened Siberia and she'll also hear from uh, onlookers who were in horror as a shark chased a fisherman to the pier that and much more on where the road takes me it's on this Sunday evening uh, with John Green from 7 o'clock from Cork McShurry it's the first part of a two-part programme from Cork Mac now let's go back to Peter Doddle on our gardening afternoon Peter Good afternoon, John that Paul. That is can a lot better. Me? I can hear you now yeah. perfect there. Good. Not too sure what's happening with the other system. I was just going to mention to you, first of all, the Mallow Home and Gardens Festival last weekend. A huge crowd attended that and overall a very successful weekend because I know you were there doing a lot of talks. Yeah, great success again. Yeah, thank God. And I suppose people were just, just shows we were all dying to get back out and without the restrictions of, of, you know, social distance and masks and all the rest of it. And thankfully the weather was good and everything was outdoors anyway. But, um, and once again, the the, the show, you know, it, it's going from strength to strength. The, the, the And I was saying it during my talks, and I keep saying it, that the amount of specialist nurseries and specialist specialist plants available at the show is probably the best that you're going to get in Ireland. You won't have, believe it or not, you won't have as many uh, specialist nurseries at Bloom next weekend as what you would have at Mallow last weekend, which is hard to believe, but there you go. Yeah, it is. And Bloom, of course, as you mentioned, are you involved in that this year? Or are you going? I'm taking a weekend off. I... I'm taking a weekend <laughs> off. Well deserved. But let's get into questions before you take the weekend off because there's a lot of questions in. And first one from Sean. And he wants to know, Peter, when can he trim a spotted laurel head shrub? Well, you can't trim any shrub at the moment or any hedge at the moment because it's actually illegal under the Wildlife Protection Act. So in case there's birds nesting or any other wildlife nesting in there. So you can't trim any of your hedges at the moment. But uh, September, September, horticulture is actually the right time to do it. And uh, you're not breaking the law by doing it then. So wait till September or failing that, you could do it in February. OK, and a Douglas listener, her tulips, they have died. So she wants to know, should she cut off the leaves or take up the bulbs now? The correct thing to do here is wait for the foliage, John Paul, the, the, the leaves on the stem and everything, wait for them to die off completely. In other words, to go kind of straw coloured, so all the green goes back into the bulb. When that happens, you, you again, the textbook answer, and I say the textbook because I don't always live by the textbook because I'm a bit of a lazy gardener, but the, the correct thing to do is to take the bulbs out of the, gar- out of the, the soil. Uh, the, the dead foliage at that point, you just snap it off or it'll fall away. Uh, store the bulbs then in some kind of newspaper or brown paper bag, keep them cool and dry uh, until the, the, the autumn again. And in fact, with tulips, you're better off waiting. We say the autumn and uh, you're better off really waiting till the winter before you plant tulips because they do much better when there's a real drop in temperatures. Um, I, every autumn, I, I get people saying, to me, oh, I must plant my bulbs now before the weather gets cold. Whereas in fact, from a gardening point of view, you want the weather to get cold before you plant your tulips again. So, let the foliage dry back, store them in, in paper, cool and dry until autumn, winter, and then plant them out again. Okay, and uh, this uh, person on WhatsApp wants to know, they've bought a Japanese maple tree. Now, they don't know much about it. Will it lose its leaves in the winter or should it be in shelter now? Yes, it will lose its leaves in the winter. All Japanese maples are deciduous, so it'll drop its leaves in late autumn, early winter. Stunning autumn colour. One of the things they're really grown for is that leaf colour in the autumn before they drop the leaves. Um, shelter from the wind is essential with Japanese maples so somewhere sheltered from the wind uh, and when you're planting it 
don't don't plant it. Obviously, not exposed to the elements because you don't want it windy, but also you don't want full sun. So it does want a bright enough position. But uh, it, like the brighter, the better in terms of the autumn colour, but not exposed to the south facing full sun, if you know what I mean. So some are good and open, but not 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 too windy and not too too exposed. And Jim is in Kentucky. He wants to know what are the ideal conditions, Peter, for rhubarb. Jim has been planting it for the past three years, and it's still not producing a decent crop. Now there is a loganberry growing next to it, and he's wondering could this be taking all the nutrients from the soil? Well, I suppose it, it, it actually could, depending on how close it's planted to it, because loganberries are very, very vigorous plants. So depending on how close the the the, the rhubarb is planted to it it could be now I th- well, it's funny though because last couple of years with yourself and with Trish I've had a lot of people ringing in saying that the rhubarb isn't doing too well so I'm wondering is there something in the soil but no uh, I, I don't think so it's, it's they do like to be well fed so full sun in answer to his question gives them a good open sunny position um, and really feed them they like to be well fed and well mulched with organic material you know even seaweed uh broken down farmyard manure, your own homemade compost, any organic material like that. Give them a good mulch around the base of the plant with it. Um, and and you could also, during the during the, the growing season, you could give them a, a liquid feed with a seaweed fertiliser, seaweed liquid feed. Um, obviously, you, whatever you're putting on will have to be organic because you will be eating it. Um, it's possible, as I say, that the logoberry is taking the nutrients from it. Uh, so perhaps maybe try moving it in, in the winter to somewhere somewhere more removed from the logoberry. Okay, I hope that helps uh, you, Jim, there in Kentucky. Peggy, meanwhile, is in the city. She wants to know, can you grow chamomile flowers in the shade or do they need to be grown in sunshine? I would say full sun, really, for, for chamomile, yeah. A certain amount of shade will do, but full shade, definitely not. I would put them more sunny. Okay, hopefully that helps you. And Kitty is in Skibbereen now. She wants to know, can you buy ever-yielding strawberries in Ireland? And are they truly ever-yielding, is Kitty wants to know on Skib. Well, Kitty is educating me in this one because I'm not aware of ever-yielding strawberries. So uh, strawberries, the I grew up actually on a, on a, on a fruit farm, John Paul, where we, we used to grow acres of strawberries. So every morning, every morning for about six or eight weeks during the summer, we were up at six o'clock, much to my disgust, doing the back-breaking <laughs> job of picking strawberries. So I can tell you a bit about strawberries and they're, they're not ever-yielding naturally. So the, I'm not aware of the ever-yielding ones that she's talking about. There's probably some new variety of them out, but that sounds to me very much like, you know, intensively hybridised and probably a bit of modification going on so I wouldn't be in a mad rush so the short answer to your question is I'm unaware of them and if they are ever yielding they shouldn't be if you know what I mean they yeah. have they have their life cycle and they should be in fruit sometime between kind of end of May and end of July so uh, it's, it's, it's a vague answer to the question I'm sorry Okay, well, we'll hopefully it did uh, some way answer your question anyway, Kitty there in Skib. And Sally is in Glanthal. Now, she wants to know how to grow yellow marguerite next summer. Uh, can she grow this from her seed or will she need to buy this from plants or how should she go about it? Well, you could grow it from seed. It's a, the yellow marguerite, also Jamaican primrose is one of the yellow ones. And there are granthemums to give them their correct name, if you like. They're very free-flowering, lovely plants. You could grow them from seed, but even seed sown this year, in the autumn of this year, won't have come to much by next year. Uh, so if you want a good display quickly, yes, buy, buy the plant. But you could also buy a few plants of it this year, or depending on how many you want, you could just buy a plant this year, which would be that much bigger for next year. But also, they take very, very easily from cuttings. So cuttings taken this time of year, in fact, any time now, between now, let's say, and August, 
uh, a, a three or four inch cutting of a marguerite will root very, very easily. Uh, and you'll have a, a much bigger plant next year than you would from, than growing from seed. And Helen is in Formoy. She wants to know, Peter, can you explain again how to take cuttings from geraniums? And is this the right time to take cuttings? Well, yes, the geran- it is the right time for geraniums and the marguerite. And it's the same way for both. So you take about three or four inches of this year's growth. Um, so it's what's called semi-ripe wood. You, you might be better, we're, we're just at the 1st of June, you might be better off leaving it another four or five weeks just for the, for the wood to kind of thicken up a small bit. So three or four inch cutting of this, this year's growth, the base of the cutting has to be at what's called a node, John Paul. Now what a node is quite simply, it's where a leaf meets the stem. Any of the joints on the stem or where two stems meet, that's a node. And the node is the magical part of the of the plant or of the stem because it's where everything happens. It's where where all the auxins are. Now the auxins are the hormones that are responsible for for uh, development of roots. So obviously that's why it's beneficial for cuttings. So the base of the cutting should be at a node. Uh, your cutting above that node should be three or four inches, as I say. Uh, remove all but one pair of leaves. So the top pair of leaves. If there's what we call a terminal bud, which is kind of as it sounds, the bud at the very top of the cutting, which might be a flower bud or it might be a leaf bud, remove it. So you're left with this three to four inch uh, stalk, uh, a node at the bottom, one pair of leaves on top, into a small bit of rooting powder, into some compost. Uh, and they, and even at this time of the year, even if you didn't have rooting powder, just into a bit of compost, damp compost, not saturated, but not bone dry. So it needs a bit of moisture. But if it's too wet, of course, the cutting will rot. So not too much moisture. Uh, and this time of the year, they, they'll root away geraniums, uh, argranthums, all these kind of frost-tender perennials uh, will root away in, in two or three weeks, I would say. And it, But again, probably better off to leave it a few weeks before you do it. Sarah is in Carrigaline, Peter. Now, her broccoli, she says, it has been eaten by the cabbage butterfly. Now, she's treated it with grazers, she's pulled off the eggs and she's ordered netting, but the leaves are still left, but all the inside of the plant, that is now gone. So she wants to know, is it now too late to save the entire plant itself? I'm going to say no, maybe more in hope than in, than in, in, in with knowledge, but... I would be, it's, hard, it's impossible to say really without seeing it, but but I would say no. Uh, keep applying the grazers, which is a repellent product, which repels the the, the cabbage fly, um, and uh, sorry, and and many other caterpillars. Um, uh, without seeing it, I can't say a definitive answer, but I would I go go with hope and say no. Okay, uh, Mike is in Bantry now. I don't know if you can answer this or not for Mike, but he wants to know, is fish, dried blood and bone meal illegal to use in the garden now? You're spot on. I can't answer it. it it's, a, it's an old-fashioned um, uh, plant fertiliser, which is, you know, has been used very much over the years. I'm not sure if it is illegal to, 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 to use it. Now, it certainly wasn't up to about two or three years ago because I kept seeing it in garden centre shelves. Um, but you know what I, I can do my homework on that for him and I'll check it for next week and if you if you remind me next week John Paul I'll, I'll, I'll have found an answer OK we'll hold that one over for next week and uh, we'll go to Clonacilty to Marie now Marie is growing sweet peas she forgot to cut off the flowers to encourage more flowers but if she cuts off the seed heads now will that encourage more flowers or is she too late? No she's not too late at all cut away it's very early for them actually to have gone to seed already but um, yeah cut the seed heads now and you should still definitely get more and more flowers I would say a feed with a good quality tomato food too will help promote some more but yeah all the energy now is going into the seed production and you want it to go into more flowers so, so prune off the seed heads now yeah
Okay, and John even is in the city. He wants to know, Peter, how to treat woolly aphids in pot plants? Well, a woolly aphid, they're, they're, um, it's, woolly aphid it's like a green fly. It's one of these tiny little, well, it's, it's white, but it's, it's, it's like one of these tiny, tiny little flies. Uh, they're what's called sap suckers. Uh, in other words, they, they feed on the sap in the veins of the leaf, which cur- causes the leaf to curl up. Uh, John Paul but I'm sure you knew all that but um, of course it is yeah. what, what, what did he say they're on say that again what, sorry what did he say the woolly aphid was on it's in well he's wanting he wants to put them into pot plants they're, they're okay they're on so, pot plants so yeah. the best thing to do is if he has the woolly aphid in pot plants the first, best thing to do the first thing I would do is just go scissors or secretaries and remove any of the shoots that are infected if the if that's not practical, in other words, if there's only two or three shoots in, uh, affected by them, I just remove them. Uh, however, if it's the whole plant, what you could do is the garlic wash, which I've mentioned before on the program. Where, where my advice would be go out and Google how to make a garlic wash for plants, and that tell you. And you, basically, what you're doing then is you're drenching the plant with this wash made from garlic, uh, totally organic, obviously. Uh, and it makes the plant completely unpalatable to woolly aphids and loads of other different aphids. Uh, and that's probably what I do. But in the first instance, if it's not a heavy infestation, I would just just trim off the, the infected shoots. OK, and a very final few uh, in, the, in about 30 seconds. First of all, this will probably be answered from Sarah in Carrigaline's question as well. Anne, she has a problem with rabbits eating her plants. She's tried a lot of things. Anything else she can try? Grazers, which was mentioned earlier for, yeah. the, for the cabbage fly, uh, the grazers do a range of a range of products, and all based on calcium chloride. And one of them is for rabbits, which is their original one, and it's a very, very effective product. It makes the plants totally unpalatable to rabbits, but it's not magic. It does need several applications for the plants to build up the calcium levels. So grazers is certainly worth trying and persevering with. Um, Mowed grass, your, next time you mow the grass, get the, the, the basket that collects the trimmings, put that around your plants, the rabbits won't go near it because they'll choke if they eat the mowed grass. So if you put it around the plant, uh, it will protect it from rabbits. So you might not have, there's a couple more and I'm, I've no doubt you'll get loads of phone calls, but I'm conscious of your time. Uh, but there are other, other tricks. I'm also on Facebook on the Irish Gardener, back doing the live questions and answers every Friday at one o'clock. So I'll be able to spend more time on it then if you want to, to, to tune into that. Very good. And maybe yes and no answers for these. We'll try and fit them in. Kay, she wants to know, is it too late to plant? Is it nerines? Nerines? Uh, no, if you have them, it's not. Uh, getting them, it's probably too late to get them. Most places will be sold out. and they're, they're a late summer flowering bulb. But if you have them or you can get them, plant away. And is this the right time, Peter, to slip laurel? Yes, I would say yes. Perfect. Peter, thank you for that. We'll chat to you next week. Enjoy your bank holiday weekend. Andrew, thanks, John. Paul. Take care. Bye Peter Dunall there, uh, the Irish Gardener. You can catch him on theirishgardener.com or indeed on Facebook or indeed on Instagram at the Irish Gardener. That's where we leave it for today. But before we go, can I wish a big happy birthday to Josie O'Connor from Drum Peach in Lumberstown? Josie is celebrating her 100th birthday today. So a happy birthday to you, Josie. It's coming in with love and best wishes from your sons, your daughters, your grandchildren, and your great grandchildren, and also on text. Uh, Mary in Letterkinney wishing you well for your 100th birthday Josie in Lumberstone enjoy and enjoy your day with all your family that's it from us my thanks to Bernie Murphy who produced we'll chat to you tomorrow morning and we'll hear what indeed came before the Rockless Committee today on transport from Dublin Airport that and more tomorrow morning from 10am enjoy your Wednesday afternoon I'm John Paul McNamara